Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Retail Ask and Expert Series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the people, the technologies, and the companies that are coming together to shape the future of retail. Or as Ann always likes to say, I love the it. retail media organization that focuses on tomorrow today. And Ann, guess what? What? He's back. What is that? From. It's from Poltergeist. Oh, I thought it was like Freddy Krueger or something. Which now I feel bad that we have this guest on and I'm associating him already. Yeah, it's a little Freddy girl Kruger. in Poltergeist. So oh. I don't know. I don't know what Ethan thinks about oh. that. But yes, we have Placer AI's newly minted SVP of marketing, Ethan Chernovsky, joining us today. Ethan, welcome back to OmniTalk. Thanks so much for the Poltergeist intro. That's my. Favorite. I know, right? Like. <laughs> Could it be better? I don't know. That's uh, that's nothing like the person that Ethan is at all, but he is back and we are excited about having you back on the show, Ethan. How's it been going? It's going well. I'm excited to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back because today, Ethan, you're going to give us retail's mid-year report card. Who's doing well and who is not doing well? We can't wait to get your take on that whole thing. But Anne, before we get started, I have a question for you and you too, Ethan. When I say the phrase report card, does that spark good feelings for you or bad? Always bad. Bad, really? See, it only sparks good feelings for me, Ed. That's because you were like a straight A student all the time. Like there was never any fear of like what the the nun was going to give you in your religion class for not memorizing your Hail Mary's. Are you saying I was like Alex P. Keaton and I had all my report cards like in a bow from Probably. the years collected? Probably. <laughs> I do not have those. I do, mine have not been saved. Yours didn't make it home, Ed, right? Yours ended up somewhere on the in route. No. Ethan, what does that, that phrase conjure up for you? Good feelings or bad? I'm curious. I mean, good feelings, but there were no nuns yeah, at right. the Jewish day school. No, I, I, yes. so I think we're I, okay. I, I bet that was an element too. That's quite missing from, from your educational background. Absolutely. No. But the no. next go around, that'll be. Yeah. That'll be. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into our retail discussion with Ethan, uh, just a quick reminder for those of you who are watching and listening uh, on LinkedIn to make sure to put your questions for Ethan in the chat, just to the right of the video at any time during our discussion today. And we will make sure to get to those questions while we are going through the interview. Yes, but we will. With that, Ethan, if you wouldn't mind giving those who might be joining us for the first time, who haven't heard of Placer before, a little background on Placer and what you do there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Placer is a location data company, the very, very simplest way of putting it. People vote with their feet. We show you how they vote across the United States every single day. We do that by observing a panel of tens of millions of devices. Very critically, this is all de-identified aggregate data. So we are GDPR and CCPA compliant. We then analyze that data with machine learning and AI algorithms to make uh, estimations on visits to retail locations across the country. And then we display all of that in a wealth of different reports on everything from true trade areas, visit counts, customer journey, cross-visitation, and a whole lot more. And so that's what kind of informs the perspective we bring to the retail table. And Ethan, talk a little bit about the people who are working with you, because I feel like in, since the time we've known you the last, you know, four or five, four or years, five years, yeah, it's, it's just astounding to me how many people are like, oh yeah, we we're pulling placer data for this, like <laughs> all the way from like developers to retailers, but like, who, who are you working with? So anyone who has what we like to say a stake in the physical world are, okay. are kind of folks that we're working with. So I think when we first met, we had maybe a dozen or so, a couple of dozen customers. We're now at 2,500 customers, uh, everyone from major retailers, wow. kind of landlords, brokers, uh, civic organizations, CPG companies. 
anyone who's really trying to understand or has a stake in understanding what's actually happening in physical retail. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And Ethan, that pit, that 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 overview's gotten much better over the years too. I got to give you kudos for that. Cause what is this, the fourth or fifth time you've been on the show? I'm curious. I was trying to remember. I think I think it's it, it's gotta be at least four, but I I I do feel like our the journey of placer cannot be told without the journey of Omni Talk. I mean, we're That's kind right. of like we've been in this together. Linked at the hip for sure. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get right to it. Let's hand out the grades, so to speak, the things that I used to love and and was always fearful of, as we yes. found out in the beginning. Which retailers or categories are you giving high marks to so far this year, Ethan? So when we think about like the first half and those who would be getting A's, there are a handful of different companies and across different sectors, but there are elements that kind of define their success and why we're so excited about what they, they did and why we think it's such a strong group. So the first is kind of Lululemon, even throw in like Nike within that mix and other mm. players within the athletic athleisure space. And I think it's this idea of, of two elements. One is a product that really fits with the current environment, right? So we talked about this, you know, at the height of the pandemic, there was this shift to athleisure. Was that ever going to go away? People were more comfortable in different types of products and different types of clothing, whether it be at work or at home or working at home. But then even more that these products have their own kind of life cycle. So there is this need to replenish, which I think speaks to their favor. And so they're built in in a way where the success isn't temporary. It's something that can extend. Mm, and we think about like beauty and another one we've spoken about quite often as, as a kind of an ongoing winner. And I think it really speaks to the value of the in-store experience. Like, do you have a reason to visit a store? Mm -hmm. Is the in-store experience geared towards making you excited and purchase product? And then they have this added value of this affordable luxury concept that we've spoken about quite a bit in the last six months, where in a tough economic environment, is this something you're still willing to splurge on? Mm -hmm. And I think it definitely fits the mold. And then the last one is, is off-price retail. And off-price retail is a powerful retail experience in a store. Right. One that, again, just a few years ago, we were, or many were very down on because, mm -hmm. hey, if you don't have e-commerce, how are you ever going to, to do well? And they have very limited, if any, e-commerce channels. Mm -hmm. And yet we see tremendous success because they're value-oriented. They have an experience that delivers on its promise on a consistent basis. And so those are the elements that I think really define success for us. Obviously, value is a big play, and that's going to have helped. Uh, as opposed to those who might not be as well positioned. But the combination of a really smart strategic approach to what they're trying to do with retail and some positive positioning defines a lot of the A's that we would give out in the first half. So Ethan, I'm curious, because you've also got on the screen here, Ulta. Like how mm -hmm. how did, how did they, how does that category play into things? So I think it's the, it's the beauties conversation, but I do think there's this added element of being kind of value oriented, understanding that middle lane within beauty, I think mm. a lot of the partnerships that they've done to kind of expand their reach, that partnership with Target we've spoken a lot about was really powerful. But I do think it's, you know, I'm always really oriented towards beauty in the sense that they really understand how to create an in-store experience that provides value. You're not going to a store just because you want to get that product. You're going into a store because the search for the product is enhanced by going there. And Ethan, just for a point of clarification too, these numbers on the screen in front of us, these are visits to Ulta stores too, Ulta's mm -hmm. own properties, not necessarily 100%. the Ulta stores in Target. So in addition yeah. to this growth in their stores, they've also got the expanded distribution in a Target store right now as well. Yeah, and, and I don't know, if, I know this is going to shock you, but Target has a pretty wide reach too. 
<laughs> I kind of I kind of remember that from somewhere, but you know, I don't know. But man, and that Lulu num that Lululemon number, yeah. that's just like pounder. Like, yeah, I'm crazy. I'm really curious to see what starts to happen in the second half of the year, though, too, Ethan. And I'm and I wonder what what your thoughts are just based on kind of following Lululemon for as long as you have. Do you think that like an Alta stands to overtake a Lululemon or it kind of starts to creep up higher, even the other beauty stores start to creep up higher as we hit the second half of the year? You think that it'll remain strong like that? I think Ulta is, is it really well positioned and we're not seeing such crazy fluctuations there. Yeah, so I, yeah. I do feel like there's a consistency. I think Lululemon yeah. and and I am scarred by maybe the worst call I ever made was thinking that Lululemon was oversaturated in key markets. Like right. one of the, right when I joined, like that was one of my like big takes and it was completely wrong. It's not so your I, worst I, take ever though. I'll give you credit I mean, for that. It's not your worst. That's fair. But yeah. It's no staple. Oh. <laughs> but I or think- Or Bed Bath. Bed Bath. Uh, that might be the worst. Oh wait, is Bed Bath not going to have a comeback? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think that that it's- even if you do see some declines in year-over-year visits, that's not some horrible message. It's just right. because of the heights that they hit. Right, right. But I think a testament to just one, the beauty category and how much that's able to offer customers at a little bit lower price point than a, a higher price luxury apparel item and the experience, like you said, Ethan, that you're able to get in the store. It's fun. You get yeah. to go there. It's not just about getting a mascara. It's about you know everything else that you get to check out while you're in there and discovering new products and brands. So- for that sure makes, it is. It makes oh my God, yes. Um, so the other point you said too, that's really interesting to me is like, you think we're, we're kind of in a new normal now, like the pandemic's over. And so things are steadying a bit. So you're thinking the reads on this are more longer lasting. Is that an impression that we should take from this data? So, so I think for Ulta, I think for overall, Ulta, no. I think oh, the, the okay, idea that, why? yeah, because I, I think so much, and we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but okay. I, I think we have seen a very, we went from pandemic which was obviously a crazy situation yeah. to this recovery, which was a very different situation because of the pandemic to a period of tremendous economic challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see a recovery from that of late. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think we know what the real new normal looks like in retail yet. Yeah. Okay. So there's still some tailwind behind the backs, particularly probably in the off-price sector then, mm -hmm. as well as some of these categorically as well, given the macroeconomic trends that we've been seeing. Okay, that's interesting. All right, Ethan, let's go on to the next one. Who, who's, who's next on your list? So, so I, I look at a group that, to me, deserves somewhere between like a low B, high C. Okay, and it's I love that. That was like me. In I love school. this. Is that you? Low B, high C. But I want to identifying with this category that's already. Me, that's me now, Anne. Yeah. <laughs> I, I struggle with this group a lot, and I'll tell you why. I think they were hit very, very hard. Okay. When you think about like the pull forward of demand, yeah. when you think about the challenging economic environment and purchases that you can push off, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need to buy certain things immediately. And home improvement, consumer electronics really fit within that category. So it's something I can push off. It's absolutely not a necessity. And you had that pull forward of demand mm -hmm. and you have this difficult economic environment. And so I think there's two ways of looking at this. One is kind of how dare you not do as well as we, we wanted you to do. The other one is this is actually pretty solid performance, all things considered. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean it deserves an A because that diminishes from the peaks that they hit at other periods. Right. But I think what you're seeing is really smart retailers that took a hit during a really difficult period, but 
are already seeing that kind of start to recover. So when we look at Home Depot seeing week over week growth, and week over week is not normally a metric we care about. This is showing year over year. Right. But when we see for like Home Depot, almost flat between June and May, that's really powerful because March, April, and May are their strongest months. Right. So there are things that we're seeing from these retailers, Home Depot, Lowe's, Best Buy. There's others across the home furnishing space that would also fit within this category from a recovery spec- perspective that I think is very, very impressive. So Ethan, if I ask you that question in another way, would, would it? I'm curious what your answer would be. So like, and maybe you have this data, maybe you don't. So if we look back to visit patterns to 2019 before the pandemic, are these retailers seeing sustained growth relative to those numbers? Like, have they increased their visits relative to that? In some cases, no. Like in some cases, they saw mm. drops compared mm. to even that pre-period mm. in the last few months. Mm. But that mm. is starting to really shrink. And mm. we're seeing a much stronger situation for them now. And I think that goes extra because this isn't, especially when we think of home improvement, this isn't their strongest period. So that normal seasonality capped where you do see kind of visits peaking. But for my normal strength period to come when we were feeling the the strain of the economic situation most is really challenging. I think it's going to be a very interesting sector to watch if the recovery continues both year over year and compared to their peak period throughout the back to school season. Yeah, I agree. Especially when you start to think about some of the other uh, outlying economic factors that are coming into play with still a shortage of inventory in the housing market and you know whether or not people are going to be making that decision right. the ne- the latter part of this year to invest more in current home improvements versus you know pitching the house and going and trying to find something right. else so that I think you're right Ethan this will be one one to keep an eye on um do you have a do you have a front runner in the in the home improvement and electronics lineup that you're really going to oh. be keeping your eye on we're having ethan Thank make you. a call yeah. oh my gosh oh wow i love i i i love best buy and it's this is not no offense yeah, to anyone but i think best too. buy is so every it feels like best buy is just they do they make decisions that are so strategic and they make so much sense when you kind of unravel more and more behind it. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the geek squad concept or they were doing appointment visits right after kind of the pandemic when that recovery was happening, they're, they're, they're kind of spreading into like health technologies for at home. Like they they do so many things that are so great. So I think they're, they've always been one of my favorites, both as a consumer and just someone looking at the space. So I'd have to say Best Buy. Right. Yeah. That would be ours too. I think too, as well, at least it would be mine too. But so the real, the big takeaway here that is like the grades make sense. You're like saying B to C range here for these guys. They got a good boost coming out of the pandemic, but Hey, we're not really sure where they're sitting. There's still a lot of macroeconomic headwinds in front of them as well. And there's still the push to e-commerce that's just naturally going to happen. And which was there prior to the pandemic as well. So, so where these guys go next is, is, kind of up for debate. That's that's the big takeaway here, right? Am I paraphrasing that correctly? Sometimes your teacher hates you. You missed <laughs> a really important week at school and you, you didn't do as well on the test as you would have liked, but not all is your fault. And yeah. so that that's kind of that. That's how I look at this group. Got you it. can turn it around. You, it. We're incentivizing oh, yeah. you to turn in this around. Right, right. Like I'm talking to my sixth grade. Right, right, yeah. right. Incentivizing, <laughs> right. All right, so we've handed out the A's. We've handed out the B's and C's. Where are we going next? All right, so we're going overall for retail. I was had a big debate with a colleague about this because what you're seeing in January in terms of year over year, that's Omicron, right? And then you're yeah. seeing things things drop back. 
But the recovery in June to me is fascinating. And I think it's really impressive. One of the things we saw in a lot of categories was actually month over month growth between May to June. Okay. That normally is a period where we would see a dip. So it's not just that year over year visits are getting better. It's that they're actually improved on May, which is normally stronger than June for many categories. Okay. That speaks to me to a retail segment, especially in terms of offline visits. And this is including a lot here, right? So we're talking everything from grocery and superstores to outlet malls and lifestyle centers. Mm-hmm. I think we are heading, if this momentum continues, to a really powerful back-to-school season and much better than, than I had initially expected to see. Mm-hmm. There is a recovery taking place. If that, that might be super short-lived in June, but I think it has the potential to carry in. And we're seeing, again, just that tremendous appetite for the store visit. Interesting. And you think that 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 upswing in back-to-school is, is a, going to be across the board, or is it as you're you know, as I'm looking at the chart in front of me, is it going to be specific to particular segments of retail? So, you know, it's funny. I think certain segments are better positioned, obviously. So I like, think about malls, right? I think indoor malls are probably less well-positioned than outlet malls in the back-to-school season, especially in this back-to-school season. We have the time to travel out to go to the outlet mall. They're more value-oriented. So it's, they're more aligned. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we're seeing the visit gap shrink for indoor malls too to me speaks to a very exciting wider opportunity. Mm-hmm. Will it continue? You know, again, there's been so much volatility in the last few years. It's very, I'm certainly not kind of gambling lots of money on it. Right. But I think it's a much stronger performance than we would have expected in June. Yeah, it's really, it's, that's, I wouldn't have expected that big turnaround that you see on the graph here, right? You know, right stark in your face right there in June. So do you, is there any, is that data consistent? Like, was it, aberrational in the beginning of the month towards the end of the month or was it a consistent upswing the whole month it was kind of consistent like okay. are, are there like we, we're still seeing gaps there's still a lot of retailers who are a couple of percentage points down in some cases they're a couple of percentage points up it, it, it's they're within a range but there is it's much better than what we were seeing in may so so if you're handing out grades here and like yeah. in terms of where retail as a category sits overall heading into back to school what grade would you give it i mean i i don't see how Again, if you want to give a harsh grade on looking at the first half of the year on just overall performance, yeah, it's a it's a a B minus C plus. Yeah, for sure. If you want to weigh in, if you want to weigh in the hey, this this thing starting to turn it around, yeah, then it's starting to like I'm giving it a a B minus with a note that said this would have been a C plus, but I saw the hard work you're putting in to improve. And this could be an A by the end of the year. A, a for effort. I feel like yeah. Ethan is, you were just pulling from like all of these terrible memories from grade school of yes, getting those those comments in red pen on your paper about <laughs> come on retail industry, yeah. get yeah, your stuff together. For sure. It's great though, because like it got, it gets me thinking too, like last week, um, Walmart said for back to school as an example, that they're going to keep their prices at the same level. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they had last year, which I think is a bold marketing statement for them to make, which goes to the point too of what you're saying. Like maybe there was some inflation noise in this in those numbers last year, and maybe as that's starting to decelerate, we'll start to see more back to school activity with more confidence in the purchasing power that people have. I mean, I have to imagine that's kind of an undertone to what you're saying, Ethan. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that, and I'm going to segue this one myself. That leads oh, perfectly. Oh, into, please take the mic, Ethan. Into into the biggest A of all. 
This is the consumer. Biggest A of that, all. That's oh. you, person listening, the consumer. Oh. What does that Why? mean? The biggest A of Why? all. It's the, it, I don't know, A, yeah, right? <laughs> it's it's the, I don't know what the opposite of a scarlet letter would be, like the a good, good oh, positive right. scarlet letter. The it's good the scarlet letter? Yeah, it's the same letter. Maybe. Right? Depending on who you are, the Scarlet. Well, we started off bad. with Poltergeist. What did you expect? I know. You're right. You're <laughs> yeah, right. you went Hawthorne on us. I'm pretty impressed. All right. Nice. Nice. Raising drop. the bar. We're, we're going to end with Hemingway. But it's, <laughs> I think we learned a lot about the consumer. And I think yeah. it's, it runs counter to a lot of the, the expectations we had of the consumer in the past. Mm-hmm. I think we learned that the consumer is very flexible. I think that we learned that the consumer is willing to shift around in order to make retail part of their life and in-store or physical experiences part of their life. And that could that runs for restaurants as much as it runs for, or grocery as much as it runs for retail. Um, I think we've learned that there was this concept that it takes 90 days to set a behavior. And if that behavior sets, it's here forever, right? That was mm. kind of the big talk, especially I think well, early 2020, mid 2020, that was our conversation. Yet, here we are and we're seeing how visits are performing incredibly well. We're seeing visit durations go up in periods where they're visiting less. They're making more substantial visits. We're seeing a rational, thoughtful consumer. So when we look at things like uh, the return to office or or kind of you know migration patterns, we're seeing shifts from high income places to low income places, mm-hmm. where our high cost of living, high housing costs to low housing costs. We're seeing that people with smaller families or no families are more likely to go to the office more than those with larger families, which tells us again that the decisions that the consumer is making are very rational and thoughtful, and yet they're still going to retail stores quite a bit, especially considering the difficult situation. And I think that speaks to a very powerful opportunity for physical retail specifically and the role it plays in the wider omni-channel conversation. Ethan, I have a question about the last slide. So, so we mm-hmm. saw grocery up, uh, an uptick in grocery more than any other category in what we were just mm-hmm. talking about in the in the rising stars. But how does that kind of come into play when you're looking at the hybrid work and changing demo changing uh, behaviors? Sorry for this this demographic. I mean, is what is it about grocery that's making that pop over like a super center, which I would expect to be higher up on the list or rising more quickly. All of the above are benefiting from the shift. And it's because I think so much of the quality, not just the quantity of visits. So one of the things that we we have we see in the data and we've had it validated kind of when we talk to customers or players within the space is that 10 a.m. is busier than it was before. Mm-hmm. 2 p.m. is busier than it was mm-hmm. before. And the idea that when we go to the supermarket at you know 10 a.m. or imagine a day when we normally would have you know, it's Tuesday morning, and normally we would have gotten to the car at eight and gotten to the office by nine, worked our whole day, come back, rushed over to the supermarket, gotten six things, been like the hell with this, I'm ordering from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm, I have that day on Tuesday morning, and instead of starting going driving to work at eight, I'm going to go to the supermarket, I'm going to shop there, and I'm less stressed, and I have less of a time crunch. And so I can make that visit more significant. I can look at my list more. I can think more about what I want to purchase. So I think this is creating opportunities in the grocery space, superstores as well. And I think that that will be one of the lasting legacies. Or it's when we think about what is really different about our what will be our new normal, I think the flexibility is going to be a key part of that conversation. Wow. So I never thought about that before. So essentially what you're saying is like work from home is a good shift because at the end of the day, it gives us more time as consumers. And with that extra time, we can shop more. 
we can do more commerce. I mean, that is that my yeah. takeaway here, Ethan? Like I that, think it's, it's, I've never it said us, that out loud. That's really interesting, though. Like we should it be gives us more flexibility to choose. Right. Right. So, so imagine if if I had to go. I used to go to the supermarket on. We used to see where we've seen shifts and visits are away from weekends and away from evenings. And so, if I used to have to go to the supermarket on right. Saturday at two p.m., that was an hour or an hour and a half away from my weekend. Right. I have that hour and a half back because I went at two on a on a Wednesday. I started right. work a little bit earlier to make up for that hour that I'm missing. But that flexibility creates lots of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can consume more. Mm-hmm. That's fast, fascinating, fascinating to think about. Oh, I love this. This is yeah. so good. All right, what do you got next? What let's uh, keep us going here. So all right, so I, I always like to, to I throw was, something in there at the end I, here. I, so I'm curious where you're going to go next with this. Have to right, so we have to go somewhere a little bit different. So I, I wanted to talk about kind of the changing retail map and where we're seeing things shift. So I think there was a lot of expectation around you know whether is is this are the suburbs rising or is urban mm. shopping center rising? What about high streets? We're actually seeing all of them start to bounce back from where they were compared to a January 2019 baseline. And we use a baseline specifically here because the year over year can be a little bit trickier when we think about you know, those who have gotten really hard, so they see a larger jump, or those who were doing better, so they see a larger fall. But we see people starting to, you know, these all of these different elements starting to go back close to where they were in a very similar way, which tells us that this wider retail recovery is happening for wider retail, not just one specific group. This isn't just, it's not just the suburbs that are recovering, it's this mm-hmm. wider recovery. The other element that I think is important is, is the shift of like where we're seeing retail hubs perform. So places like, you know, New York might see visits down, San Jose, San Francisco talked about quite a bit, even Miami seeing visits down. But it's because they're spreading to new places. So areas like Tampa are seeing visits up. We've seen Montana, you know, we talked about like areas in the outskirts and like the suburbs, those towns over Raleigh, North Carolina, Austin, Texas. There is a spreading out of the wealth within the retail map. And I think one of the really interesting elements that we are hearing a lot when we talk with retailers is how audiences are moving and therefore the shifts that are being necessitated in their real estate strategies and even their marketing strategies. Because the places I needed to be in 2018 to reach my audience are not necessarily the same places I need to be today. And I think a big question that is going to be asked is, well, imagine seven years from now, it's 2030. And we're looking back and we're saying, which retailers are really on top of the hill and which ones are struggling? I think a lot of that decision is going to be dictated by who figured out, who had their finger on the pulse of where their audience was and now is, and who was able to move quickly. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense. I think that part of that goes without saying. I'm curious though, too, as you look at some of these national numbers, like how does the how do the differences start to compare as you look across retail? Like I could think for like what we've talked about today for the most part you know, what you're saying makes sense. But as I look at this, I think about like QSR and the impact that the work from home movement has had on that, you know, is this, does this data consist, is, is it consistent across all those categories or are there outliers like that, like the QSR space particularly? I'm curious your take on QSR. And it's certainly, certainly outliers and there's outliers within QSR. I mean, granted okay. it's not a QSR restaurant, but look at Kava, mm-hmm. like, you know, they just had this highly touted IPO. When we looked at their data, we saw really strong performance. The more we dug in, the more you kind of look at the strategic decisions they had made along the way, it was, hey, they're very oriented towards the suburbs. So the audience they're trying to reach 
is where they located stores. They're very right. oriented towards brands. They made that, I, I forgive me for forgetting the name, but they had acquired another company. Mm-hmm. And instead of just having two different brands, they redesigned it all to be Kata location. So you're connecting with it. I think there are certainly outliers across different spaces, but overall, there is definitely some wider trends that are should be at least a starting point for research. So I know that things aren't what they were in the major cities. What does that mean for me? Maybe nothing, but I definitely need to take a look. Well, I think the Kava example is a really good one too, Ethan, because you're right. Like their strategy was hyper-focused on going into the suburbs. But then I'm also curious what what we'll see from you, especially like Chris is saying, in the QSR space, again, as we continue to see this migration to the suburbs for different day parts too, because I think that in the past, it was like the Paneras are hitting like a strong, you know, the suburb Paneras are hitting like a strong on my way to work coffee or maybe a lunch break. But now like with the Kava strategy, they're really pulling in, like, how do we be that dinner spot for families too? And starting to bring in, like you're saying, if, if I'm wrapping up work at four o'clock, am I going to get dinner at these places? Am I going to shop in different places? Am I using that as my time to pick things up at the end of the day. Have you talked to any retailers or QSR um, retailers who are seeing that kind of shift in day part as well as shift in location? Yeah, one of our favorite data points has been the uptick in the kind of 2, 3, 4 p.m. visit to a Starbucks, a Panera, Mm. a a Dutch Bros that compared to where it was pre-pandemic. That makes and sense. it's, 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 again, this, this is, it's not like it was 1% and now it's 30%, right, but it right. is, it is, you know, these small, but significant shifts are important. And they tell us that, Hey, I've been working from home all day. And at a certain point I got sick of staring at the walls of my own house and I went out for a coffee. And I, I think that those changes in behavior are huge opportunities. And I think, you know, we were having a conversation with someone recently about a city that's getting hit really hard, San Francisco. We know that their visits are down. We know that their office occupancy is, is lower. We know that the return to office is struggling there more than other places. We also know that San Francisco had a bubble in terms of how expensive it was to be there, what office life was like. Is there the potential for a turnaround there where like younger people start moving into a city that used to be known as a cultural hub? Could that be part of a wider recovery? Yes, but it's about taking advantage and leaning into that opportunity. Yeah. Ethan, any other tidbits or like facts that you have to throw at us uh, before we get you out of here? You always have something that usually surprises us. So I'm curious if you've gotten anything. I mean, I think the return to office is super cool and interesting. And I think it's, I think it has, you know, I think it has, we talk about what changed the new normal I think hybrid work is going to be a fundamental piece of the new normal. And I think it's one of the few things that was really caused by the pandemic that will be a lasting legacy in terms of, you know, down the road. It's it's really, you know, we're certainly seeing a degree of recovery there. People are going back more. But if you were over-oriented or had all your eggs in the office worker basket, you probably need to figure out a way to diversify. Yeah. And Ethan, do you see like a change too in how agile retailers are trying to become? Because I think you bring up a good point. The hybrid work situation is something that will linger on now. But I think as we are seeing more companies bring or require that that their employees are coming back to work, how how are the best retailers that you've been keeping track of 
kind of modulating that or trying to remain flexible or agile in order to support this constantly changing, like now we have higher traffic on Tuesday at 9am. Yeah. So I think it's a couple of things. I think one, they're like, and, and I am admittedly a technology skeptic, right? I think mm. sometimes the conversations we have around technology are the things that are the most exciting to talk about, but they're the yeah. least realistic to have an impact. hundred percent. I love things like Target doing Starbucks as part of their BOPUS. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you can get a coffee too. To me, that's that's a huge piece of like, are you doing make sense innovation? We talked about the appointment shopping for Best Buy. Mm-hmm. I think the other element of is, is the counter to that, which is, are you thinking about the future? Because if you're investing in certain technological infrastructure today, where the world adapts, you will be positioned to, to move to. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it is about make sense in the short-term decisions, but then also investments so that you'll be able to continue to make those decisions and you'll be positioned to move where the consumer needs you to be. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's why we love having you on the show every you know quarter or every six months. Seems like that's the routine that we're on. Because I remember the last time we sat down with you, the big takeaway, the big aha slide was the work from home, mm-hmm. right? And now, and now you're hitting a different angle on that where the work from home is almost like, okay, this this may even be good for commerce in the long run. So while we're seeing companies push into it, how far are they going to push is the big question. And should they push is the other question. And so that's fundamentally going to be here. And so to your point about technology investments, you're going to want to make your technology investments in places that are going to give you the intelligence to make the best decisions around that phenomenon, which is probably much more long lasting than say inflation as an example, right? Like that's going to be a temporal thing, but how we're going to fundamentally change how we work as consumers is going to be with us forever. So that's really interesting. All right, Ethan, on that note, let's get you out of here. If people want to learn more from you, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So if you want to talk to me, I'm at Ethan at Placer.ai. If you want to not talk to me, you can email ideas at Placer.ai or check us out at Placer.ai, our website. We have a free version of our premium product that is always available to try. So if you're an introvert, you can email him. If you're an extrovert, you can reach out to him <laughs> directly. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks. Thanks as always. We always love sitting down with you. It was fun. We did it a little bit differently this this time around. We did the retail report card. Might have to do that again when we meet. Oh, we, when we, I don't know if I can we do this it. again in the fall. Yeah, too much bad memories. Right. Man's going to have nightmares tonight. But uh, Ethan, thanks for being with us. Ethan Chernovsky of Placer AI, the SVP of marketing. Always a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. And to all of you, on behalf of all of us at Talk, thanks for your questions on LinkedIn. Thanks to those of you that may be listening at a later date. As always, be careful out there.